Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I have another uh, comedian's favorite joke, and this one is from Jason Alexander. Okay. So George from Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. It says, two pirates, Morty and Sol, meet in a bar. Sol has a patch over one eye, a hook for a hand, and a wooden peg leg. Ye gads, matey, says Morty. What happened to you? Sol says, me pirate ship was attacked, and a lucky shot lopped off me leg, so I got me a wooden peg. And your hand? asks Morty. When me ship sank, a shark bit me hand off, so now I got me a hook. Okay, and what's with the eye patch? I was standing on a dock, and the biggest seagull I ever saw poops right in my eye. But you don't go blind from no seagull poop. True, says Saul, but it was my first day with the hook. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. Ah, yeah. Ouch. (laughs) Okay, and then I have some jaw-dropping... Facts. Uh, First one, before machinery was developed that made the knife-making process easier, knife grinders in France used to have to painstakingly grind the blades against sandstone wheels to sharpen them. These workers, known as yellow bellies, because of the yellow color of the dust from the grinder, would lay on their stomachs to work because it was found to be the best position to maintain control and it prevented back pain. The job required absolute precision because if the grinders lost control, the pressure of the wheel would shoot the sharp blade at their faces. Oh, nice. The workroom had to be kept freezing cold, so the men were encouraged to bring their dogs to lay on their legs to keep them warm while working. Okay. Weird. Next one, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest might now be a 4th of July tradition but it allegedly began as a competition for immigrants to prove their dedication to America. The hot dog stand opened in 1916, which according to Nathan's was also the year of the competition that started it all. On the 4th of July, four Irish immigrants gathered at the stand to see who could eat the most hot dogs to prove their patriotism. While many are dubious of this claim, ESPN tells the story every year during their airing of the contest The first officially sanctioned event was held on July 4th, 1972, and has been held every year since. Hmm, That's interesting. It is interesting. That's so gross and American, though. It is. How many hot dogs can we (laughs) shove in our face? (laughs) So So gross. (laughs) Okay, next one. While many consider The Wizard of Oz to be the first Technicolor film... The Toll of the Sea, which was filmed in Technicolor, made its debut 17 years before Dorothy and the gang followed the Yellow Brick Road. Wow. The Toll of the Sea starred Anna Mae Wong, a 17-year-old Chinese-American, and marked the first time an Asian actor received top billing in a Hollywood production. Wong went down in history as the first Chinese-American movie star. Her career spanned film, TV, and radio. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. In 1930, a crew rotated the Indiana Bell 
telephone company headquarters by 90 degrees while the employees continued working inside. The crews shifted the building 15 inches an hour using mostly hand-operated jacks. The entire process ultimately took about a month to complete. Inside the building, everything remained business as usual. All 600 employees still came to work and there was no interruption to gas, heat, electricity, water, sewage, or telephone service. Shifting the headquarters allowed the company to build a second building to accommodate for the growing business. Wow. That is crazy. I wouldn't want to be in a building that's Hell people are moving. Hell no. They're like, like oh, you know, oh, it's fine. You don't pay me enough for that shit. You just stay at your desk. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> God. That was in Indiana, too. Oh, figures. Holy shit. <laughs> Next one, after Prohibition, members of the Mafia and other organized crime, group, crime groups turned to plastic surgery to remove their fingerprints and change recognizable elements of their faces in order to evade arrest. In the 1930s, Joseph Moran traveled around the world removing fingerprints and repairing bullet wounds so the mobsters could avoid hospitals. This turned out poorly for Moran. After bragging about his new gig, his body was found washed up on shore in Ontario with his hands and feet chopped off. <laughs> we don't need you, fucker. Holy shit. <laughs> Other mobsters DIY'd the surgeries using hydrochloric acid to scrape their prints some even turned to mutilating their finger, fingers. These attempts often did not work. In some instances, the outer ridges of the fingerprints remained, while in other cases, the procedures didn't go deep enough to fully destroy all the prints' layers. These partial prints are often enough to still identify the criminals. Hmm. What people will do. Mm -hmm. In 1972, Italian singer Adriano... Uh, Salentano released this song. <laughs> um, it's a really long word. Okay. Prison colon and and kusel. Okay. <laughs> the song is complete gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> With completely improvised lyrics meant to mimic the way English sounds to non-native English speakers. While the song didn't make much of a splash at first, Celentano performed it several years later on an Italian TV show, and the song quickly shot to the top of the chart charts. Celentano wanted to test a theory he had that Italians would love any song that sounded like English, even if it had no meaning at all. Some even consider this song one of the first rap songs ever released. <laughs> that is hilarious. I really want to hear it now. I should have looked that up. Uh, turns out the Academy can be a pretty harsh crowd. The process for choosing the best nominees for best documentary was formatted a bit differently than most of the show's procedures up until the mid-90s. Academy members volunteered to be on the documentary nominating committee and gathered in a theater armed with flashlights. Each movie was given 15 minutes to dazzle the audience. At the 15-minute mark, if the viewer wasn't enjoying the film, they turned their flashlight on and shined it at the screen. 
If the majority of the lights went went on, they moved on to the next movie. Speaking of that, did you see what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock? I did not see it. I refuse to take part in anything celebrity anymore. I think it's all fake and stupid and they're like pathetic. Well, did you hear about what happened? I heard about it, yes. Well, I watched the video. Yeah. It was not fake. What do you mean? Like the slap itself? Yeah. Okay, the whole, well, the I believe thing. It was so hard to watch. Was it really? Well, it's because it's how Chris Rock reacted afterwards. Because he was so shocked he couldn't even get a sentence out right oh my god yeah it was like he he was like so discombobulated i still think that it was planned in some way shape or form i don't i think will smith planned it or something because well chris rock wasn't in on it if he did i don't i don't i I believe that yeah i believe that like chris rock was totally surprised about. i don't think it was because what happened is chris rock made a joke about jada right yeah and it showed will smith he's laughing at the joke okay he turns over looks at his wife because his wife did not like the joke yeah so he thought it was funny until he turned and saw her face, that's when he totally flipped. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should watch it. You should watch it. And it's hard to find because a lot of it is just the... The slap itself? Yeah, they show... Yeah. So you got to find one where it's at the very beginning when he first starts talking about the joke or whatever. Maybe we can find it after we're done. Yeah. But I I probably will not watch anything that has to do with Will Smith. I know, I won't either. Because what the fuck? Yeah, I I need to watch it because well like when cuz like I said, I didn't go out of my way. I, at you know, all. I don't yeah. watch the Oscars. I was yeah. It was Sunday night and for some reason I could not sleep. Oh, so you watched it, like, as it went on? No. Oh. It was way after. It was, oh. like, I don't know, midnight. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I was watching TikTok. Mm. And I saw something about it on TikTok. And I was like, is this real? Because <laughs> it all it did was show, like, the slapping part. Yeah. I was like, is this real? So I get on regular internet. Yeah. And I'm looking it up. And, yeah, it was. I was like, oh, my gosh. Hmm. Yeah, I um so obviously I heard about it and I heard that Chris Rock made a joke about um Jada Pinkett Smith and you know obviously I heard about it but I I didn't like search for you know I didn't I didn't care but no well, I don't usually either but I've always liked Will Smith. Yeah, I have too. Yeah. And I was like he surely that's not, you know. Yeah. what happened? <laughs> well, that's what happened. Hmm. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Okay. According to cybersecurity company Hive Systems, there's an algorithm that determines how long it would take a hacker to guess your password 
combining the length and type of characters included to figure out exactly how long until your precious password is revealed. Changing all of the passwords to be 18 characters, considering it would allegedly take a hacker 438 trillion years to solve it. So to be hacker proof, it has to be 18 characters. Changing all of my passwords to be 18 characters. So yeah, if it's 18 characters, it would be like, there's no way, <laughs> pretty much. I heard that if you do like, instead of like words or part of words or whatever, the best thing to do is do to, to do like a sentence. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I don't do that. I don't but either. <laughs> I would never remember that. <laughs> And not only that, now you have to have, you know, letters, numbers, symbols, symbols, yeah. capitalized, not capitalized. It's like, dude, I know I'm old. I can't remember all this <laughs> shit. OK, despite the fact that all eight members of the Titanic's band died during the ship's 1912 sinking, Roger B Bricoy a 21-year-old cello player wasn't officially declared dead until the year 2000, 88 years after the tragedy. Bricoy, who was a French, was even called a war deserter after he failed to show up for service during World War I. The French Association of the Titanic was eventually able to clear Bricoy's name. The musicians notably continued playing for as long as they could in order to keep passengers calm. It's been estimated that they played for two hours after the ship was struck by the iceberg. That's so crazy. They were like, oh, well, he just, he didn't show up. <laughs> Poor guy's dead. Right. He's a deserter. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I was busy. <laughs> I was busy dying. Not breathing. <laughs> Takes up all of your time. <laughs> I was a popsicle. <laughs> I could not go. It's very hard to move. <laughs> okay. Before President Warren G. Harding took office, most of the United States' most important documents were at the risk of total destruction. Papers like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were stored in direct sunlight at the State Department, causing the paper to deteriorate. Harding noticed this and had the Constitution preserved in a glass case. The Constitution is now kept at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., along with the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, we'll just put it in that windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> uh, next one, in 1976, Ben Mazel, a cannabis rights activist, decided he was going to take advantage of a rule that prohibits someone from being arrested while voting. He smoked a joint while in the booth, <laughs> casting his vote. <laughs> Can't arrest me. I'm voting. Leave me alone. <laughs> casting his vote in the 1976 presidential election, and ate the evidence to prevent being arrested for marijuana possession before leaving the booth. <laughs> Maisel was a fixture on the Wisconsin political scene for the rest of his life, where he fought for the legalization of marijuana. 
He was prepping for a run for U.S. Congress when he died in 2011. He was arrested and estimated 137 times for his political involvement. I saw a thing on the news today that they're trying to legalize uh, marijuana like state or not statewide. Nationwide. Nationwide. They should. There's no fucking reason. Yeah. None. Stupid. Alcohol's much worse. That's exactly I was about to say that. I cannot believe that cigarettes and alcohol are legal and marijuana isn't. What Mm -hmm. the actual fuck? Yeah. So dumb. There's America in a nutshell. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Well, not to mention the fact that the there are people literally selling cannabis products on the internet. In these companies, and there are people still in jail for mm-hmm. marijuana. Yeah. What the fuck? That is fucked up. It is. Ugh. Don't get me started. <laughs> okay. Sorry I brought it up. <laughs> uh, while daylight savings time used to happen in the last week of October, in 2007, there was a push to move the date to the first week of November. Why? Candy lobbyists were supposedly seeking an extra hour of trick-or-treat time. Their request was granted, and now the clocks fall back after Halloween, allowing candy corporations to rake in all that extra hour of sales. Oh, my God. That might be done with, too. I hope it is. God, God. I do, too. There's no reason. It's so stupid. very stupid, and I fucking hate it. The reason they started it was for the farmers so they could... Um, do their crop stuff mm-hmm. when it was still daylight, but now they have headlights on their bright tractors. ass headlights, bright fucking and like lights all over the fucking things. There's no reason they work all night. Sometimes I've seen them. Yes, I've seen them in my backyard. Oh yeah. Um, they woke me up one night. I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's crazy. I look out my window and there's a tractor going. It's fucking no one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but no, we still need daylight savings time. <laughs> oh, my God. Remember Bernie Madoff's 2008 arrest for the largest Ponzi scheme in history? Turns out the whole scandal could have been uncovered nearly a decade earlier, potentially preventing investors from losing billions. In 1999, Harry... Marco Polos, a financial analyst, was asked by one of Madoff's rival companies to develop a similar strategy to Madoff's. Marco Polos quickly concluded that it was both legally and mathematically impossible that Madoff was getting the returns he was claiming. Marco Polos immediately notified the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, who brushed off his claims. Oh, great. Marco Polis went back to the the SEC in 2000, 2001, and 2005 with more evidence, but was ignored each time. It wasn't until Madoff's son contacted the FBI about their father's financial fraud in 2008 that he was arrested. After the extent of Madoff's financial crimes were uncovered, the SEC conducted an internal audit to determine why the agency ignored all of Marco Polo's legitimate claims. Madoff was given a max- the maximum sentence of 150 years in prison and died in jail April of 2021 at the age of 82. Wow. So Bernie Madoff had some friends. Mm-hmm. Next one, it's impossible to pinpoint exactly how old a sequoia tree is until it's cut down. 
Growth rings located in the cross sections of the tree's stump reveal exactly how old a sequoia is. The older trees get the, get the closer the rings are. As the tree, tree grows, the fastest in the first 75 years of its life. Once a tree falls or is cut down, scientists can use the data gleamed from the rings to get an estimate of how old other trees are in the area. From these rings, it has been determined that sequoias often live for over 3,000 years, being the oldest on record, or with the oldest being on record, uh, 3,210 years old, making the sequoia tree the oldest living thing on Earth. Wow. That is crazy. Uh, during the construction of Mount Rushmore, it was determined that there was, was room to add a fifth face to the monument. Soon after, a bill to include Susan B. Anthony was introduced to Congress in 1936. Rose Arnold Powell had been advocating for Anthony's inclusion for nearly a decade at this point, writing letters to then-President Calvin Coolidge and First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt. Roosevelt agreed with Powell and also lobbied for Anthony to be featured on the monument. Soon after the bill was introduced, another resolution passed that said funding would only be used for the carvings already in progress, effectively ruling out Anthony's inclusion. Bullshit. This will be my last one. Ethiopia is truly living on another timeline. The country follows their own calendar, which is rooted in biblical stories. The calendar is seven years behind the traditional Gregorian calendar based on the notion that Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden for seven years. Most of the world switched to the Gregorian calendar created in 1582 by Pope Gregory XIII, uh, I think. But Ethiopia was free of influences from the Roman Church and retained their own calendar. To this day, the century uses their 13-month calendar, uh, the 13-month having only five days. Many Ethiopians use both calendar systems interchangeably. Hmm. And I will have more of those next week. All right. I'm continuing my Skinwalker stories. All right. Every summer, my family and I go up to camp in Dedham, Ellsworth, Maine. That's about a three-hour drive from my house. The camp itself is about an hour from the nearest town. I've been going to this camp my entire life. My family owns it and have never had an incident like this happen before. I was watching TV in the middle of the night. Both of, my, both of my brothers and my parents had gone to bed. I heard a noise coming from the kitchen and realized that the dogs needed to go outside to do their business. So I took my brothers, two pit bulls, and my often venture, tiny dog, outside after turning on the porch light. I walked around to the front yard and I let the dogs off the leash. It's so incredibly dark in the woods in Maine that the porch light really only illuminated the porch and nothing else, so I tried to keep an eye on them. I was momentarily distracted when I saw a loon on the lake. When I looked back, I saw that the pit bulls were both looking at something in the woods. I couldn't see what it was, but I assumed they'd seen a squirrel or a raccoon. It was then that I realized I didn't see Alfie anywhere. She's an awfully small dog and she's completely black. I called for her a few times and heard some soft whimpering right where the dogs had been looking earlier. Mm -hmm. I took a couple steps in that direction and called for her again, worried that she may have gotten her paw stuck between the rocks or gotten stuck in a snake hole. 
Suddenly, I felt something moving behind me. I whipped around and looked down, and it was Alfie. She'd been staying close to me the whole time. I just hadn't seen her. So naturally, I was thinking, if Alfie is here, what the fuck is in the woods? (laughs) I took another step forward, and the pit bulls began to growl. They were slowly advancing and were now on either side of me, looking right into the blackness of the woods. I quickly picked up Alfie and began to back up, very slowly. I'm not sure what I thought was there, but there are lots of animals in Maine, and I figured the dogs knew better than I did, since I couldn't see anything. Right as I turned around, I heard the most absolutely bone-chilling thing I've ever heard in my life. Coming from the direction of the woods, I heard something, someone, call Alfie's name. Oh, what? It sounded almost as if it was trying to mimic me, but it was just all wrong. The voice sounded really distorted, and it almost seemed to wail. I freaked the fuck out and ran inside with the dogs. I have no idea what was out there in the woods. My camp is essentially a log cabin overlooking a lake, and our nearest neighbor, who is also family, lives at least a half a mile in the opposite direction of where the thing was. Holy shit, that's creepy. I hate mimicking. Yeah, hate it. creepy. Normally, I am completely stoic and don't care for superstition or anything like that. I look on backwoods stories like these with a sort of bemusement and have told and been told plenty over the years. Tonight was different. I'm a grown-ass man, but moments ago I just started sobbing uncontrollably and got so nauseous I threw up my dinner. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but after reading about some of these encounters, it was like something clicked and I started remembering. First, a little background. I was a weird little kid, incredibly full of energy and supposedly really smart. I loved spending all day outside, roaming the foothills and getting lost, then finding my way home. I was totally fearless, and it really pissed my parents off because, of course, they would get worried sick about me if I didn't come home on time or even until after dark. I loved exploring, finding the hidden places, and searching for interesting bugs and animals. My parents were convinced I was going to grow up to be a scientist of some type. Yet, I had a sort of lack of respect for authority, and my constant failure to return on time resulted in pretty serious groundings. My solution was to stop going out in the daytime and to start sneaking out at night. My nocturnal adventures began when I was about 12 years old. My range quickly increased from the neighborhood to the nearby golf course, to the deep woods outside of town. I would sneak sneak out around 12 a.m. and try to be back by 4 or 5 a.m., just before my dad woke up. I would use my morning shower to clean up, then stumble off to school like a zombie. Needless to say, my grades suffered, and discipline measures became ever stricter. Still, nobody could stop me from sneaking out and having my adventures in the night. This went on for years, and I never felt afraid, even when the cops were called on me occasionally, or someone shot off a gun, or when a huge buck stared me down after I stumbled upon a bunch of bedded-down deer. I even heard a cougar scream once close by. That got my heart pounding, but I never felt true terror. A sort of startled alertness, maybe, but the total dark wilderness never, never held power over me. I felt powerful and vital, like I was doing something that nobody else does, and conquering something that was unassailable for others. Did I say that right? I think so. Until one night. 
Tears are coming to my eyes now, and a chill is running at my back as I type this. I never remembered fully what the event was that made me suddenly, utterly stop my exploration and totally shut myself inside. But reading these stories has seemed to open the door to something truly awful. I'm going to try and explain what I saw and felt and heard now, and you can draw your own conclusions. It was a very normal early summer night, cool, no breeze, clear sky with the stars and moon out shining so brightly that after getting used to dark, you can make out shapes and shadows fairly well. A perfect night for an adventure, I snuck out with my usual routine and quickly jogged out of the neighborhood and past the golf course. I had somewhere in mind where I wanted to go, and my plan was to head down a dry creek bed deeper into a small valley that I hadn't been before. Everything was going just fine, and it was exhilarating to be going somewhere new and breaking a new trail. I didn't get very far into the woods that night, though. Total silence was what made me stop. I remember it very clearly. Usually, it was quite noisy with crickets and other insects, so loud that it was almost annoying at times. But I encountered an area of complete dead silence, with only the sound of the breeze flowing through the pine trees. It was so odd and so sudden that I just stood stock, stock still waiting, how I usually did, for some clue as to what was going on to present itself. Instead, <laughs> an awful sensation flooded my body, a sort of welling dread that made the fine hairs on my arms and legs stand up and on the back of my neck, too. It was electric and tortuous, sheer, utter terror. Then the scream happened. So close, I thought it was coming from above me. The worst sound I've ever heard in my entire life. It wasn't a cougar. I know what those sound like. It was a long, peeling, horrendous wail full of mind-bending hate. And that moment, I was sure I was about to die, that I had made a terrible mistake, and now I was going to pay the price. Something was moving in the dark shadows of the sparse, tree, uh, sparse pine trees right in front of me. Not moving like any animal. Not a deer or even a bear, both of which I had countered before. A lurching motion of four limbs with a shadow the size of a man. It was coming toward me. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. Every nightmare a child has ever heard about a monster chasing them why they couldn't run away was coming true. After that scream, everything was quiet. It wasn't making any noise as the moved, as it moved towards me. No crackling of dry pine needles, no breathing, nothing. I couldn't move. Tears are streaming down my face now. The terror I put away is coming back. I think I tried to run. I remember fleeing faster than I had ever moved in my entire life. Total silence, just the pounding of my feet and the scrabbling of my hands in the pine needles and dirt and roots. I fell. I remember panting, facing the dirt, knowing I was about to die. I remember the silence coming over me and a terrible chill. I remember the feeling of my bladder loosening and heat flooding down my legs. I don't remember what came after that. When I came to, it was early morning. The sun was just beginning to rise. My only thought was to somehow make it home before my dad woke up, and I ran flat out the many miles back home. My dog snarled at me, snapping at my heels as I jumped our back fence. It was so confusing because we were the best of friends since I was only enough to play with him. I had larger worries, though, because my dad was up. I managed to climb in through the window to my bedroom and change. I went to school that day, but they sent me home with a fever. 
I never explored at night again, and I was never the same. My dogs never acted the same around me again either. I went for an almost too social, active young man to a complete and total social recluse almost overnight. I barely spoke for a very long time, and I almost failed to graduate high school. It was like nothing could ever matter to me ever again. I don't know what happened, but I know something happened. I'm sorry, it was very hard to write this with any coherency, because recalling this completely is making me nearly break down again. Till tonight, I hadn't cried in almost a decade, and that was when I buried those dogs I mentioned, when they had to be put down from old age and infirmity. I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I feel like it was important to share this. Weird. That's too many words. I hope I'm never, like, so scared I pee myself. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine being that scared? No. No. This is a true story, so it may be a little dull. I grew up in a town on the Gulf of Mexico. Our neighborhood was next to a huge field on the other side of the field, the Gulf itself. Not extremely relevant, just for setting. My childhood home was laid out where my bedroom and my parents' bedroom were on opposite sides of the living room, which is where the front door was. I normally stayed up late, much later than my parents. They didn't mind much, as I didn't get into much trouble just playing video games all night. I had fallen asleep playing Super Mario RPG on SNES, (laughs) mid-battle and all, when I woke up to my dad calling me into the living room. So I got up, walked out of my room. Every light in the house was off. I called out, Dad? He called me again from the living room. I don't recall the exact verbiage used, but he called called me by name and was calling me to him. The living room was completely empty, with not a single light on. I stood there, my eyes peering around the room, which was dimly lit from a nearby street light seeping through the blinds. Dad? Again, he calls out to me. This time, though, his voice came from beyond the front door. In retrospect, of course, something was wrong, but as a young boy being called to in the middle of the night by their father's voice, the first thing I thought was that he obviously needed my help for some reason. I approached the front door slowly, very slowly, partially out of confusion, partially out of grogginess, As I approached, my dad called to me again, then again, and again. Each call beckoned in a friendly but urgent tone. I was in within reach of the doorknob. I stood there. At this point, I felt something was a little off. Maybe I was sleepwalking or caught in some vapor of sleep or something. I paused for a few seconds to really drink in my surroundings, feel my environment, This gave me time to truly take in the details. I was perceptive. I was awake. There was no mistaking it. Dad? Silence. Dad? Then I heard him once more, stern this time, like he was was when I was in trouble. Wadnu, get out here, now. Oh shit, it's serious, I think to myself. I reach for the door. Wadnu, what are you doing? It was my mother, right behind me. Her voice, in contrast to everything I was feeling in that moment, fucking terrified me. It was the most startled I'd had, I had been in my life, but that record wouldn't last long. Dad's outside calling me. I think he needs me, was my reply to her inquiry. Dad's in the bedroom asleep. Were you dreaming it? 
This phrase is one of my most vivid memories. Just thinking about it has me covered in chills. Record shattered. This was by far the most terrifying single moment in my life. No, I know for a fact I wasn't dreaming. I don't sleepwalk. I remember waking up. I remember it very clearly because I had fallen asleep during a battle in Super Mario RPG. And when I woke back up, Mallow was the only person left standing in my party. And then, right after that, was when I had first heard something luring me outside. Maybe that's what woke me up in the first place. The act of fear didn't last long, surprisingly. I had no idea what could have been out there. The thought of what it could have been depressed me. I had no response to the bombshell my mother had just dropped on me. I was emotionally exhausted by fear. You know that sickly, exhausted feeling you get when you receive absolutely terrible news. I simply muttered goodnight to her, shuffled back to my room, and laid there on the floor until I passed out from emotional exhaustion. I have never encountered anything like this since then. This seems like the place to share the story without instantly being told that I was just sleepwalking, given that I have not one other single instance of known sleepwalking. This turned out longer than I expected, and I feel very mixed at having immortalized these words, essentially. Part of me feels good to share it to a receptive audience, but the other part of me feels like I'm just stirring some shit. Again, this is 100% factual. I didn't enhance any details. I've told this story for 20 years now the exact same way. It's one of the clearest memories I have from my childhood. I, of course, don't know if it was a skinwalker, goat man, shapeshifter. I have no idea what the fuck it was. All I know is that it was something, and it almost fuck, fucking tricked me. Oh my god. No. I'm trying, I was like, when you were reading that, I was like... Because you know how if someone says something to you through a door, it's kind of muffled? Yeah. But you still know who it is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you heard that, and the other person was outside in the middle of the night... Yeah. Oh my god. That's almost... It's like the... Um, when I heard that girl crying outside my house. Yeah. It's the middle of the fucking night. Why would someone be out there yeah. crying that close to my house where it was loud and clear? Something I wasn't fucking was try- going outside. Something was trying to get someone outside. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That is fucking but creepy. I don't like that. I wasn't stupid that time. <laughs> Just later on. Just when you later. Open the yes. Door. Just later. (laughs) My family moved to rural Pennsylvania when I was four. I was immediately entranced with living in the country, with several acres of woods behind us, and the house seemed huge to me at the time. However, as a kid, I was always sensitive to spirits, energy, and there were definitely some creepy things going on in the house. So my parents noticed that I stayed with our dog, Bambi, a lot. He was a small sheep dog and my adventure buddy when and my adventure buddy when we went walking in the woods. In case you're questioning my parents, they trusted me as young as age seven to walk around alone as long as I was with my dog, as he was very, very protective of me, and my dad would give me his cell phone to carry with me in case I needed any help. Up until I was about fifteen, I spent a lot of time alone by choice. After school I'd be home by three twenty in grade school. I'd eat lunch and immediately take Bambi out to the woods and we'd explore the surrounding forests and fields 
and meadows and ponds together. He was always right by my side, and he seemed really attuned to spiritual stuff, too. Example, if I felt something was in the house, he'd bark at it or whine, or I'd watch him follow it around. Usually, he'd pick up on the presence of something at the same time that I would. Anyway, from my backyard to the left, there was a small strip of trees, and in the fall and winter, when the branches are bare, you can see the field next door, which is about 300 yards from my house itself. There's a big plane shed up there and a kind of runway where my neighbor would fly his biplanes. What's kind of important to the story is that I have no neighbors for a mile in every direction. It was pretty rare to see any kind of people on the surrounding properties unless it was my neighbor having the fields, haying the fields in the summer. But one day in early fall, I had been tromping through the woods with Bambi for several hours. I let him run off leash most of the time, but he would only run ahead about 20 feet and keep turning around to check that I was still there. If I lost sight of him, he'd retrace his steps and find me again. That day I got caught up in whittling something, so Bambi ran off a little bit, and I suddenly realized I was alone. Suddenly there was a lot of crashing deeper in the woods, and I heard Bambi's alarm bark, alarm bark and a lot of yelping and then some screeching. Raccoons and gophers make really fucking scary distress sounds, so I figured that was it. So I called Bambi, and he popped out of some brush covered in pickers. <laughs> and since I was spooked, I ran right back home with him. Right as I got to the back door, I stopped to catch my breath, and Bambi and I were just standing there when I spotted someone standing on the very edge of the runway. It ran along the higher end of the field, and then there was a steep drop-off the edge of the hill at the very end of it. They didn't appear to be wearing anything distinctive, but even in the dusk I could see that they appeared completely black or everything about them was very shadowy and dark. This is the part that gives me shivers now. They were standing facing off the runway, and then I saw them hunch over, then slowly raise their head and yell, Bambi! In the same high voice I would use to call him. They had the same vocal inflection as me, too, but it sounded like they were trying really hard to sound like me. Next to me, Bambi tucked his tail under, lowered his head, and growled softly. They called again, but this time it sounded like they were losing their voice, as if they had been calling for a while. In my eight-year-old logic, I assumed that someone was trying to steal my dog, but why would they stand in the middle of the field and be obvious about it? When I told my parents about it that night, they just dismissed my story. The next day, I went to my cousin's house two miles up the road, and my uncle told me about an animal he saw the night before that he was trying to identify. He said it looked like an emaciated cow sprinting across the bridge over the creek, which is about 300 yards from the runway. And also, since then, anyone who's been at my house has always been uneasy around the creek and the plain shed runway, whether or not they're interested at all in the paranormal. I know that a lot of death happens in nature, but I've also found several goats ripped up in the field. The nearest house with any amount of goats or farm animals is nearly four miles away, and a lot of unexplained things have happened up there. Ooh. Creepy. That is creepy. And this is my last one for tonight. Okay. 
My family and I spent close to a decade on the Navajo Reservation of Northern Arizona. Perhaps that is where my love of the paranormal began. There is some kind of tangible magic amongst a group of people connected to the earth in a way I feel the majority of white folk have forgotten. Spending my formative years amongst the Navajo, Hopi, and Apache, I found a respect for the older ways, for the importance of legend in our everyday lives, and why having a clan and tribe meant something I, as a white child, could appreciate but never truly understand. The story I tell you is not out of a desire to get a reaction, but to share a beautiful experience and perhaps provoke a respect for what we so casually label as monsters. I grew up in an incredibly abusive home. My mother was a wreck. My guardian, grandmother, worked for the tribal school system, and when she was actually home, which was rare, she was either berating us or beating us to the point of blisters, bruises, and welts. Life within our home was rough. As a result, we seven children didn't spend much time at home. The others got into trouble, provoking gangs, experimenting with drugs, or throwing themselves into sports to get away as much as possible. I didn't do any of these things. I made friends with every child I met. Their families welcomed me in. I wandered from home to home until dark. Some of the elder Elderly people of the tiny town seemed to take me in, telling me stories and teaching me the language, which was still somewhat common in those days. Some parents snuck me in to council meetings, and though I was very young, four years old, I distinctly remember the council members smiling as they told the parents they couldn't have me there for fear of angering others and the older children taking me down to a creek nearby to play. My time on the reservation is still a fond memory for me. I was taken care of and loved there. I was different and they could easily have alienated me for it. They did the opposite. All of us were poor, the town was dilapidated and had few of the comforts Americans usually enjoy. And yet it had everything I wanted as a young child. Adventure in the wilderness I explored often, good people, excellent friends and stories that set my imagination running. For many years, I thought I had never seen or experienced a skinwalker. Now I realize I have, only it didn't frighten me as it did my brothers. It watched me. My brother spoke of being threatened by peers with skinwalkers just waiting for a reason to chase us off their land. One of my brothers came home late one night to find a coyote, a coyote on its hind legs staring into our kitchen, its paws on the doorknob. He was crying when he told the story, shaking with fear. I'd seen plenty of coyotes, but I'd never seen—I've never been scared of them. I didn't understand why it was cause for concern. I was far more frightened of the packs of stray dogs that ran around the town. They'd attack if you ran, and sometimes they'd follow you all the way home, growling. To this day, I can't see a blue healer without wanting to run. I do remember attending a fair coming through the town on a school field trip. My teacher, who I loved, made me hold her hand for some reason. She wouldn't explain. I remember her talking to the aide about getting the children onto the bus before we were seen. A man painted gray and black came to the bus and started looking into the windows. My kindergarten teacher shoved me down under the seat, holding my head so that I couldn't get up or peek. I still remember the other kids laughing, my teacher looking at me, and there was no humor in her face 
as she yelled at the man to leave. She looked frightened. Through all these experiences, I still spent more time outside unsupervised than a child my age ever should have, and during that time, I noticed a gnarly-looking eagle everywhere I went. It was dark brown and large, with a wickedly curved beak and claws. To a child, it was almost daunting, but I began talking to it. Every time I saw it soaring overhead or sitting atop a street post or in a tree, I would pour out my little soul to this poor animal. I told it everything. My fears, what was happening at home, my school lessons, new Navajo words I'd learned, and things I found funny. Once or twice I could have sworn I heard laughing in my head, echoing as it came from somewhere far off. It cocked its head at me a few times, making me feel like maybe it understood. I still see it occasionally, and I smile and wave every time I do. I believe maybe I am seeing a skinwalker, but it wasn't the bloodthirsty monster people described. Interesting take. Yeah. So I should be finishing up my scary stories, I believe. First one, I worked in a tattoo shop where two of the past owners had died. One of them died just a block away from the shop, and it was long rumored that the shop was haunted or cursed. Weird stuff would happen, like speakers or decorative knives falling off shelves overnight and smashing through our glass-topped light table, and the lights would flicker on and off. One late night, I was alone in the shop tattooing some 18-year-old kid, and the light above me started flickering. The lights above my station had always been perfectly lit, so this seemed unusual. It was flickering so much that it was starting to get annoying, and I began to feel nervous, even though I really didn't believe the shop was haunted. Finally, after a few minutes of this, I stopped tattooing for a second, looked up at the light, and said in my head, Okay, dead shop owner's name, I get it, you're here. Can you stop messing with my light, please? It was supposed to be kind of a joke. The light stopped flickering instantly. It went back to just a shining, regular old light, and I went back to tattooing, pretty shaken up. From that moment, I knew the dead shop owner was there, and I knew he was just causing occasional mayhem to fuck with us. Nothing malicious, but definitely haunting that place. <laughs> Did it say where that was at? Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Next one, I worked. I used to work at a Boy Scout summer camp. Every week, I would take a big group of campers to a secluded spot for their wilderness survival badge, where they had to build a shelter out of sticks, leaves, etc., and sleep in it overnight. The spot was only about a half a mile from the main camp, but we took them different route to make it seem seclu secluded. Anyways, I was on one, on this one night, all the campers had made their shelters, we had cooked dinner, and we're all sitting around the campfire. It was getting late, maybe around 11, so I sent the campers to their shelters for the night and started cleaning up the fire. That's when we heard in the distance what sounded like church bells. They were pretty faint, but myself and my fellow staffers could definitely hear them. They went on for about 30 minutes, ringing every 30 seconds or so. We were all a little creeped out as there were no churches or towns within 20 miles of us. After the bells stopped, though, the singing started. It was too faint to hear the words, but it sounded like church choir music, but a lot of people, and a lot more enthusiastic. Also, it was almost midnight at this point. The singing went on for well over an hour, sometimes quieting down until we almost couldn't hear it, sometimes getting so loud we thought it was getting closer. All of the campers were super creeped out, but I lied to them, telling them that there was a church service going on in camp and there was nothing to be scared of. Eventually, at almost 1 a.m., the singing stopped. 
I found out a few days later that there had been a large KKK rally only a few miles away that night, and that's what we had heard. <laughs> oh, my God. That's way too close. Yeah. Next one. This isn't creepy, but it gave me pause for thought. I was returning to my office after finishing a meeting. As I approached the door, I saw my colleague walk from the left, left of the office to the right, presumably returning to his desk. As I entered the office, I started to say, hey, m stopping abruptly upon the realization that there was nobody else in the office with me. I'm not exactly sure what I witnessed, but it was clear enough and detailed enough to convince me 100% that my colleague would be in there. Hmm. See, that's weird. Yeah. Next one. A few months ago, I had this really scary dream that seemed so real. In my dream, I was in my bed doing something on my laptop. Suddenly, I just had a bad feeling something wasn't right. Like I somehow knew something was in my room with me that shouldn't be there. I jumped off my bed and hurried to flip my light on. I flip it on just in time to see this weird black shadow sphere thing with legs zoom over, zoom under my bed. I woke up scared and crying, but it still felt so real and I just knew whatever it was was very evil. The next day, me and my dad are watching one of those ghost shows like my ghost story on TV. In the episode, this woman was in her room and all of a sudden she felt like something wasn't right. She turned her light switch on just in time to see a weird black shadow sphere thing with legs scurry under her bed. Yeah. It pretty much looked exactly like the thing I saw in my dream. I flipped the fuck out. Ooh. Creepy. Yeah. Next, while I'm working late in the lab at school, I had to grab something from the upstairs classroom. It's after midnight and the entire building was empty and dark. Suddenly, the phone in the classroom starts ringing. So after the heart attack, I decide to answer it. Silence, not even a dial tone. So I hop out and go back to the door. Uh, the next day I have class in that room. So I ask my professor how often people call the classroom phone by mistake. He looks at me funny and says the phone in that room has been disconnected for years. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like it. Next one took my three-year-old daughter on a hiking trail through some local woods. I let my daughter lead the way, and she chose to turn up a path that was far less well-trafficked than most of the trails in the area. About 10-15 minutes in, on this relatively overgrown and barely there trail, heading deeper into a more isolated portion of the forest than I'd ever been previously, we came across a grisly sight. A white plastic lawn chair tied to a tree by a rope the seat covered in splatters of days-old dry, vicious, uh, vicious fluid. Is that vicious? I can't see that. Oh, right there. Viscous? Visc What's viscous? Vicious? I don't know. Oh, Just say fluid. Fluid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's gross, but I don't know. Whatever. Okay, next one. I was working with a young client with childhood onset schizophrenia. This individual was a harm to themselves and others. My back was to the window to, in the office when they started screaming, the man in the black is here. He followed me. No. So as I'm trying to calm them down, they start to sob. He's at the window. I can hear him. He says he wants to hurt you. He will come in here and take your skin off. He wants you dead. I'm trying to calm them down, moving through the plan as the plan we had when they were overcome by their hallucinations. 
Then I hear tapping on the window. There is an enormous black crow in the window, tapping on the glass extremely hard with its beak. The bird is just staring at me. It would tap, bringing its head back and slamming its beak into the glass, then staring over and over again. I got the client calmed down and we ended. The bird was still there. We leave the office. The bird was still there when I come back. Next client comes in. Bird was still there. That bird sat at my window another four hours staring and tapping. Oh, my gosh. What the fuck? I got chills. That would drive me nuts. Well, yeah, but, like, just all that with the schizophrenic patient and the, oh, no. I'd be like, okay, just cancel everything. I'm going home. (laughs) I need a me day, (laughs) personal day. Next one, I don't know if this counts because I'm I was too young to actually remember this happening. But one day when I was in elementary school, my mom picked my brother and I up from school and we stopped to play at a local park on our way home. We ended up leaving early because there was a sketchy truck parked there, not in the parking lot. And my mom was a little uneasy about it. Later that night, my mom was getting ready for bed and screamed because there was a guy peering through her bedroom window. Mm. My dad ran outside, but the guy was gone already. A month or so later, we were watching America's Most Wanted, and my mom recognized one of the guys as the guy who had been peering through her window. Oh, my God. His truck was identical to the sketchy truck she had, been, she had seen at the park. He had murdered his girlfriend's parents. Girlfriend and brother were stabbed but survived. Holy wow. shit. Next one, almost every night, my TV turns on by itself at some point between 3 and 5 a.m. I used to think that maybe it was one of my cats who walked across the remote, but I've tried hiding the remote, putting it in places where they couldn't get to it, and it still happens. Now I just turn the sound all the way down before I go to bed, and the TV will still get turned on, but at least I won't be woken up by it. I'm sure there's some reasonable explanation for it, but I rather like the idea of having a benign ghost who likes late-night TV living in my tiny apartment with me. (laughs) But Conan's on! Next one, I had a customer come into my work wearing a trench coat and a Yushaka type hat. You know what that is? Do not. Okay. Looked to have something strapped to his shirt under the coat with duct tape. He left. I messaged my wife about how creepy he was and that I thought he had a bomb on his chest. He came back 15 minutes later and thanked me for being polite and started taking started talking about religion and Obama being the Antichrist. Turns out he was on his way to shoot up a Planned Parenthood and managed to kill three people. Holy shit. Oh, my God. About three weeks ago, my old roommate and I were just hanging out in our living room watching a show or something in the middle of the day when all of a sudden, for like a split second, everything went pitch black. Like everything. It was not a power outage. Our TV remained on and there were no blinking clocks. It was more of the universe turned off for a half a second. As if this utterly unparalleled experience wasn't enough on its own, my roommate looked over at me right after it happened and said, Did you see that? The Matrix redid something. I don't like it. Next one. When I was about 10, something really weird happened to my family. We were all asleep, as usual, and I slept in the same room as my brother, my mom with my father and younger brother. In the middle of the night, the safe in my parents' room starts going off as if someone was playing with it. My parents didn't think much about it, went back to bed. Right as they did that, 
My brother's toys, the ones that had those children's songs, started playing music without anyone touching it. They were a little freaked out, but it went away after a few minutes, so they went back to bed. However, in the morning, when my mom brought my brother to the shower, she saw a red handprint on his back that was too big to be hers and too small to be my father's. I saw the handprint, and it looked as though someone had slapped my brother, but nobody did, and he slept quite well. My mom called her family and told her grandparents about it. After a few phone calls, we found out that my paternal grandma had died that night while we were asleep. So our family came up with the explanation that my grandma wanted to see my newborn brother, so she played with us. Er, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so she paid us a little visit. My family is a bit superstitious, but apparently it's normal for South Europeans. I'm still unable to explain that, and it still is a little scary to think about. That's weird. That is weird. When I was young, we used to live in a house that we didn't know was haunted at the time. There were many things that I remember happening, but the one that freaked me out was when my sisters said that whenever they tried to look for me, they always found me in my mom and dad's closet with the door closed. I would be sitting in there in the dark and play with my toys, and when they asked me why I was in there, I would say I'm playing with my friends. Other things kept happening that my parents brought a medicine man to the house. He told us that an old man and his two granddaughters died in a fire in the house. So he did his ceremony to get rid of the spirits. He told us to leave the front door open for tonight, and we all slept in the, in the living room towards the middle of the night. I remember we all woke up to the sound of the front door slamming shut, indicating that the spirits had left us. Ooh, creepy. Okay. I could not sleep with my front door open. Fuck no. I can't sleep with blinds open. I can't either. I don't. Some people are like cool with it though. Like maybe they just thought of it as camping. Mm. I don't know. I couldn't do that. I couldn't either. Anything could walk in. I know. A like, bird could fly yeah. in. Yeah. Mice and stray dogs. No, no, no. No. Like yeah. No. No thank you. Okay, my father's story. One day he was cooking for the family. The living room and kitchen is one one room where in the middle of it, there is a corridor that leads to our bedrooms. As he was cooking, he turned around and saw this really tall, thin person running from our living room through the corridor. My father, as a man of science, does not believe in the paranormal, but this got him. He went to check every bedroom just to be sure about it. Uh, that is the part that terrifies me. Next one, I was waiting at my Nan's house alone for a couple hours, and it was all fine and dandy. I was sat on the armchair near the door of the living room, and I hear my sister clearly call my name in an annoyed way, but she wasn't in the house. My heart started beating like crazy, and then when she did come in the house about 40 minutes later, she just laughed at me. I still don't know what it was or if my mind was playing tricks on me, but it was very creepy. Hmm. Mimicking. What is that? I don't know. It's creepy as fuck. It That's is. what it is. And this is my last one. She was in the process of purchasing. Oh, this happened to an old co worker. Okay. She was in the process of purchasing a new home. Her and her family would visit the developing home every weekend just to see the progress of the house. A few weeks passed where life got busy and they couldn't visit. Her three-year-old daughter came up to her one day and said, Mommy, when are we going to the house again? I want to see my friend. She replied, 
Oh, okay, sweetie, we were going there tomorrow, actually. And she said, yay, and ran off. My coworker thought that maybe she was talking about a neighborhood kid or something like that and didn't think much of it. They visit the house the following day, and on the way home, her daughter starts crying. Mommy, I'm so sad I didn't see my friend. And she replied, oh, honey, don't worry. Maybe your friend will be there next weekend when we go. So my coworker prayed that night to basically bring her daughter comfort to make her forget about this friend. Uh, that or have her see whoever this is next weekend. Well, the next day, my daughter or her daughter comes running into her room saying, Mommy, Mommy, I'm so happy I saw my friend. She replied, Oh, you did? Where did you see your friend? Confused because she'd always talked about seeing her friend on the other on the other side of town. I saw her in the mirror, the uh, daughter replied. Uh, no. What? My coworker said. She said she loves me, but she can't see me anymore. My coworker asked, What's your friend's name? And what does she look like? Her daughter responded, she's really pretty, long dark hair, and her name is Deanna. My coworker's heart sank. That was the name of her sister that died at birth. Aww. Oh my God. That's sad. You gave me chills. I know, me too. But why was she in the mirror? And why couldn't she know. see her anymore? And I don't know. There's so many questions. I don't like the mirror. I don't either. I did read, um, I don't remember. I think it was just like... Um, probably stories for, you know, I was just reading some and there was this one that was really short and all it said was I was shaving in the mirror one, one day, you know, looking in the mirror, shave this guy shaving his face. And he said his reflection smiled at him. <laughs> and now like he, he can't tell anyone because everyone's going to think he's crazy. And he is absolutely terrified of his reflection. Oh, my God. I know. And it was like, that was it. Like, he had to get it out. Couldn't tell anybody about it. Ugh. Refuses to look in mirrors now. I don't like that. I know. It's creepy. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the witty wrap-up. Yay, witty wrap-up. A different tweet. Okay. I asked my five-year-old why she was still awake, and she rolled her eyes and said, because my eyes are still open, and I think her transition to teen is complete. <laughs> Brat. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. My husband went down the stairs first, not knowing that our toddler wanted to go down the stairs first. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers at this difficult time. <laughs> If you and your kids are sick at the same time, you still have to take care of them. I'm just finding this out. Yeah. You, yeah, don't, you don't get sucks. to be sick. <laughs> no, you don't. Look, Dad, the star is glitching. We used to call that twinkling, but okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like what I was talking about earlier. Uh -huh. We're using terminology that, that doesn't make sense anymore, but it does. Yes. Oh, my God. My five-year-old lost her first tooth and wanted to bring her tooth fairy swag to school to flex on her friends. This included the white fairy dust baking soda. So I sent my kid into preschool with a little bag of white powder oh for show God. and tell. Follow me for more parenting tips. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> I wonder if it was in one of those little bitty I hope plastic baggies. Or like one of the, just a sandwich bag, like tied in yeah. the knot. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I just instructed my four-year-old to be reasonable. So make sure you're following me for all the best parenting tips. <laughs> There's a lot of parenting tips tonight. 
You haven't seen Encanto? Have you been living under a rock? A rock where there are no children? And can I visit for a week or two? <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. What is it? I don't... I think it's a... Uh, it's like a cartoon or like something. Like a Disney movie, maybe? Something like that. I don't know. There are so many Disney movies that I haven't seen. And I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> my kids, you know, they're old now. Or older, you know. Oh, I know. I don't... I used to watch cartoons and shit all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my toddler's plan for today is to throw snowballs at all the peoples. So I'm really looking forward to picking her up from daycare later. <laughs> My six-year-old asked, why are they called speed bumps if they slow you down? They should be called slow bumps. And it's seriously amazing how someone with a 10-second attention span is so insightful. <laughs> Giving my birth date at the pharmacy, nine-year-old, mom, mom, were you born in the 1900s? <gasps> me, don't ever speak to me that way again. <laughs> I remember saying that before I had kids. Because it was like 2000, and I'm like, oh, my God, my kids are going to be like you uh-huh. were born last century? Yeah. Oh, my God. Not even right. <laughs> I knew my five-year-old was grow- growing up too fast when he tried to take his shoes off and said, I don't like bending down anymore. Wow, I'm starting early on that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Just wait till you can't bend over without or you bend over and you can't breathe yeah yeah (laughs) suffocating (laughs) then you're gonna be like man i wish i could bend over (laughs) i do that (laughs) you have to sit a certain way on the couch get your shoes on (laughs) god i'm teaching my kids to read to help them succeed in school i'm teaching my kids to read because it's quality time spent together But most of all, I'm teaching my kids to read so they won't ask, what does XJ49PB2 spell every time we pass another car on the road? (laughs) My seven-year-old ran into the wall and then told me that he's knocking down all the walls that stand in his way. What kind of inspirational bullshit has he been listening to? (laughs) Just knock down those walls. (laughs) Parenting tip. For a teething infant, call grandma and tell her to pick up the kid. She wanted grandchildren, right? (laughs) It's time to play. Is my kid hugging me or cleaning his nose or both? Oh, my God. I remember that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now it's the dogs that wipe their nose on me. (laughs) I have a teenager, a preteen, and a kindergartner. So, no, you do not want me for your planning committee. (laughs) Emptying my pockets before laundry, some tissues, a receipt. Huh, thought my lip balm was in there. Emptying my kids' pockets, rocks, string, broken crayon, rocks, crushed crackers, rocks. Hey, my lip balm twisted all the way with no cap. Rocks. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Sorry I'm late. The kids were playing with balloons and we couldn't let them hit the floor. And my last one. Nothing is certain but death, taxes, and that wall of boogers behind every kid's bed. Ew. <laughs> no. That's all I got. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Send in your stories. We need them. Goldsnightoutpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook and request to join the group. Rate, review, subscribe where you listen. And we'll talk to you next week. Later. Bye.